You are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is the Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that and like you right now. So be encouraged and let your light shine. Because I'm a permanent resident, that's what my designation is. So you're only allowed to be out of the country for a year because you're considered a permanent resident. And then if you are longer, you're no longer, you lose that status. And it's lucky I found that out early. And the only reason I did was because my green card was expiring and I needed to find out how to go ahead and try and renew my green card. And they said, you can't (laughs) out of the country. You've got to be in the country. You know, I could have gone back to the States and renewed my green card, but you know, COVID was happening and it was so tricky getting back into New Zealand and Hi, hi, hi. Yeah. Look at that giant rainbow out there. I oh, that's what there you would was be saying. a rainbow. Today yeah. was a rainbow day. It's a big one. Was your husband's name Michael? Mike. Mike. Did you meet him at YWAM? Yeah. I met him after my DTS. So I did my DTS in 85. And then I did my health primary health care school after that. Right after that. Like, I skipped the very end of my DTS in order to start this primary health care school. In the Philippines. I did my DTS in the Philippines. And, you know, we spent all day, every day together as part of a small school. So that's how we got to know each other very well. So did you buy the farm in 2007? Yeah. You bought the land, right? Yeah. What made you want that? What possessed you to do that? Yeah, you just (laughs) saw that farm and you're like, I want that land? No. (laughs) It was totally God. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us that story. At that stage, we had money to invest, and we thought that it would be a good idea to invest it in land or property. We were involved in Common Ground Church at that time. We were part of the ministry of that church called Goodness Grows, Mm. and that's what Mel and Steve initially came to. Goodness Grows, they had like a director, guy that was going to come and be the director, and he needed housing. So we were like, oh, there was um, real estate people that were in our church. And they said, well, we'll look out for something for you. And if you buy it, then, you know, they could live in it and it would serve the purposes of the church and it would be an investment for us. But meanwhile, that kind of, after a while, that went away because he decided that he wasn't going to be able to afford to do it, give up his job and move his whole family and everything. So that went away, but we were still looking to invest in something. And that couple, this is just a matter of, a few months, that couple rang us one Saturday morning and said, there's this property that isn't on the market yet, but it's going to be going on the market. And would you be interested? It's actually a farm. And we're like, hadn't really thought about buying a farm. Anyway, we said, oh, we'll come and have a look at it. And by lunchtime, we made an offer. (laughs) And that night it had been accepted. And we were like, we just (laughs) bought a farm. (laughs) (laughs) What on earth are we going to do with it? So that was on a Saturday. The next day, Mel and Steve had been in touch with another Steve who was our pastor at Common Ground because they'd heard about this ministry that was out of a church that did agriculture. They just thought it was the coolest thing and they were looking to transition into something new and so they wanted to come and meet us. So we arranged for them. So they came the next day and on the way home, they really felt, wow, we want to do this. This sounds like something we really want to do. 
I don't know, God spoke to them in various ways even before they got home. So then on the Monday, they called Steve, our pastor, to say, look, we're in, you know, whatever you want us to do, wherever you want us to go, like we're in. And Steve said, oh, well, that's interesting. Would you be interested in a farm? (laughs) And they had been praying with friends of theirs for, I don't know, several years about doing life together on a farm. And they had got together and dreamed about it and written things down about, you know, what they would like and what the vision would be and and it all matched up with, well, initially, Steve thought, the pastor thought that it was 60 acres, and that's what they were looking for, 60 acres, and a workshop, and all the things, you know, everything just kind of lined up. So it was like, wow, this has to be God, you know, mm-hmm. even though the acreage was different than what they thought. So they said, yeah, we'd be interested. Then he said, oh, well, the house is shocking. You couldn't live in it. What are you like at fixing things up? And Steve was like, yeah, especially if it has a workshop because he had all the, his dad's tools and everything. So it was kind of like a beautiful thing right from the very start. We helped them move in and they moved in in March of 07. How long did you wait before you went to or YWAM when you graduated? I didn't meet God until 82. You worked out of high school? You worked yeah. for five years? In a medical laboratory with a hospital. And then you went to YWAM. Yeah. Well, in between, I did my OE. So that's, you go overseas, overseas experience. It's like a qualification in New Zealand. (laughs) I see that. It's a rite of passage. It is. Like in the States, people would think that you're a vagabond or a irresponsible person if you just kind of took off for a couple of years or 18 months or whatever. But in New Zealand, it's like, that's what you do. You become a more well-rounded person seeing the world. I guess you would call it something like a gap year, I Mm -hmm. guess. But it's not a gap year because it's usually when you've got enough money to actually... It was funny when I travelled around the States and young people would say to me, oh, you must have really rich parents. And we would just laugh (laughs) because our parents... I mean, once you're 18 at home, you're out. (laughs) And you don't, well, it used to be this way. There used to be no expectation that you'd go to university at all. Only like the top maybe 10% of high school went and they got scholarships and bursaries, which helped. And most parents then couldn't afford university. All right, you ready? Mm -hmm. Are we recording? Yes. Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Bethy. It's Katie. And we are finally here with Marnie, Miss Marnie Broderick. We've been waiting over two years to have her on our show. And we're so excited (laughs) that she's back from New Zealand and is sitting here in the flesh. We thought we were going to have to, like, Zoom interview her, but she's well, here. Well, been okay. Yeah. <laughs> no. No <laughs> more Zoom. That's how I did lots of things, like board meetings and stuff. But it's horrible, isn't it? Horrible. God bless you for I doing that. I didn't do well. So we're so yeah. happy to have you here in the flesh. Marnie was born in Hastings, New Zealand. She was raised in a rural community on a farm. She went to a rural primary school. Timata. She went to boarding school at Napier Girls High School. The closest high school was an hour away from her yeah. house. She boarded was it a there. boarding school? So I went to boarding school instead of going to the high school that was an hour away, the closest one. Yeah. Wow. It wasn't that good of a high school either, though, oh. whereas Napier Girls was a good school. It was so just a public school, though, not a private school. 
So was it Monday through Friday and then you went home on the weekends? No, you were there. You went home. There were three terms in a year and usually I didn't go home until the end of the term. Now it's not like that. Now they go home in the weekends and stuff. After high school, she worked in a lab for five years and then she went on her overseas experience. Tell us what an overseas experience is for New Zealanders. Well, we call it an OE and it's you just go overseas, often to Europe and all, all around Canada maybe. Not so much the States, usually England because we have a lot of close ties with Great Britain and Europe. So after her OE... That's when I met Jesus. So that my whole time that I was traveling, when I left to go on my OE, I said to God, well, okay, if you're real, you have to prove yourself to me. Because if you don't, then I won't have anything to do with you the rest of my well, life. Well, let's hold off on that. Will you say that when, we're on our, when I ask you that question? Oh, you're sassy. <laughs> I was. How long were you on OE? 18 months. After her 18 months in OE, she came back to New Zealand, got a job at an orchard. We will hear more about that later. Marnie went to YWAM, which is Youth with a Mission, in 1985. She met her future husband, Mike, there. They were married in 1986. In 2007, he left and she experienced a painful divorce, finalized in 2010. Marnie and Mike have three children. They're adults now, Wendy, Aaron, and Michael. Michael Broderick, our lovely Michael Broderick that we all love, is (laughs) the son to Marnie. Marnie has nine grandkids. Marnie is the owner of the property of Lamppost Farms, and she's been on the board of directors there since the inception of it with Steve and Mel Montgomery. Their mission at Lamppost Farm is to reach and teach through agriculture. They have cows, chickens, pigs, a community garden. Anything else? Orchard, yeah. Oh, and an orchard and an Airbnb cabin. Yeah. She is unofficially retired but has lots of hobbies, gardening, raising sheep, spinning, weaving, knitting, felting wool, crafting in general. She's trying to paint watercolors, (laughs) photography, and wandering. She loves a nice tea with milk in the afternoons. (laughs) Yep. Morning and afternoon. Oh, it's twice a morning and afternoons. Marnie came to the upper room in 2013. She followed her son here. Michael shares his story about coming to the upper room during his high school years when he was, he started coming to youth group and then he eventually ended up at church here and then Marnie ended up here. So we have been so blessed to have her a part of our fellowship since 2013. If you're new here, you may think, oh, Marnie's new. She's not new. She's (laughs) just been gone for a really long time. She went back to New Zealand in June 2020, right after COVID, to spend time with her father who was ailing and has not been able to get back to the States. She just came home this past week, August 2022. So that was a long visit. But, you know, she was able to spend time with her father before he died. She was there for two births new babies and got to spend some time with Wendy, who her daughter, Wendy, did married a New Zealander and lives there with her five children. So it was bittersweet. We missed Marnie here in the States, but she also has family in New Zealand still. So 
We're so happy to have you here, Marnie. Like I said, we've been waiting over two years to have you, and it's great to have you back. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Marnie loved listening to all of your stories out there while she was in New Zealand because she left before we did the first one. And so she's been keeping up with Upper Room and all of us folks by listening to the podcast. And quite a few of the sermons, which was awesome. That's yeah, one technology. thing that's been great mm-hmm. about this is being able to connect even if you're not in the same place. Yeah. And the miles, God is speaking the same things across the miles, you know, <laughs> just awesome the timing of everything and it wouldn't always be like I didn't always listen to Chris's sermons the next Sunday but yeah it was always really timely I have to stop myself from saying everybody you have to listen to this this is so awesome (laughs) and sending it you know to people (laughs) because they are they're very very relevant so Marnie tell us who or what turned your light on that would be a really long story, but because my OE was all about a whole journey of finding God, because I had basically told God that, you know, I was going to find him or he was going to find me, which is the joke, because I'm sure he was laughing, thinking, yeah, you're <laughs> going to find me. <laughs> I was found by him in a wonderful way, but through many, many people. So lots and lots of people on that whole 18 month journey. But when I came back to New Zealand, I was like, I knew that I intellectually understood who God was and had been trying to read a Bible. It made no sense to me, gobbledygook. I um, needed a job, so I went to Nelson, New Zealand, where they have lots of orchards and lots of temporary workers go there. Lots of hippies and traveling folk. (laughs) Sounded like a good scene. (laughs) So I hitchhiked there and got picked up by two crazy Christian guys who happened to be going to a Christian orchard. And I had heard about this orchard through a friend, but he didn't know their address. And I was like, oh, well, that's useless information because I won't be able to find it. But these two Christian guys of all the orchards were going to that particular one. And it was a family orchard, really big orchard. They employed about 30 people over the season. They had events, Christian events every weekend. I remember Ray Comfort at that time. I don't know if you know him, but he's a, he lives in California now, but he was from Christchurch, New Zealand, and he used to come. So all these people would come and do sort of like outreach things. It was Stuart and Daphne who were probably the people that mostly turned my light on because they became like my spiritual mum and dad. They were the real deal. And that's what I'd been saying to God, you know, like I don't know how to be what you require of me. But I wanted to see it lived out and I wanted to see the reality of it. I wanted to see not religion because I experienced a little bit of that boarding school. I never grew up in a Christian home or going to church or anything. But I knew I didn't like hymns and church and religiosity. (laughs) Which is what you found at boarding school. Yeah, I had to go every Sunday. So, but they were awesome and they were so in love with God. Um, Yeah. They just lived it every day. It wasn't something they turned on and off. It was just who they were. So, yeah, it was very appealing. It took a while still then because, well, the first time I went to church, I finally said I'd go to church because there was going to be this guy there, and they said he sometimes has words of knowledge, and I thought, what on earth is that? (laughs) And they said, well, he hears from God for other people sometimes. 
And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That could be a good show. So I went to <laughs> church and this guy was awesome. He was really good. And I don't remember what he preached about, but the music was amazing. I didn't know that they did any kind of music other than hymns and stuff in church. The music was just awesome. The people were amazing. There were lots of hippie type people. It was the 80s, and we were doing the thing that you did in the 70s. You know, it was like revival. So many people, yeah. So I went again that night, because it was so good in the morning, and the same guy spoke again. And in the middle of his preaching, he stopped, and he said, there are two people here that have stubborn and rebellious spirits. And it was like a bolt of lightning went through me. Honestly, I've never experienced that since, you know. And I knew it was me, but I wouldn't have thought that I was, I knew I was stubborn, but rebellious, I wouldn't have called myself that. But anyway, it's true. I knew it was. And he Mm. said, one of them's going to leave and turn their back on God and have nothing to do with him. And the other's going to respond. I couldn't move. I absolutely could not move. I couldn't do a thing. Just sat there for ages. And, you know, he had kind of like a, sort of like an altar call, invited people to come and be prayed for. And I sat there. I couldn't move. I was just like paralyzed. Anyway, I ended up eventually going up there when, you know, it was sort of wrapping up and everyone was starting to go home. And I just started casually talking to this guy. And he said to me, can I pray for you? And I said, sure. And he puts his hand on my head and prays for a stubborn and rebellious spirit. (laughs) And I was up on the ceiling, honestly. It was like somebody took a lead weight off me that I would never have known was there. And Mm. it's like, I mean, I know it sounds so cliche, but it was like the lights came on. Like it was like I'd never seen in color before. It was so black and white that I knew that I could never turn back after that. You know, it was just so obvious. And I went out in the orchard afterwards because I had to go and tell Daphne and Stuart because, you know, they didn't know. So I walked through under the trees and there's like stars everywhere in the sky. And I just started saying, thank you, Jesus. I didn't even know Jesus. I didn't know it was him that did it, but I did. And I just was saying, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. And I started laughing and I couldn't stop, like right from my gut, just a laugh like, whoa. Like all the, I don't know, just everything, all the tension and everything just, yeah, so that was me. That was my light coming on, I guess. And it was Daphne and Stuart for three years that discipled me and it was like being in a Christian hothouse. Hmm. Because we just did everything together. There was all these young people that were went to that church, and we just couldn't get enough of God, couldn't get enough of our Bibles. We were at everything that was Christian. So I learned about YWAM, and yeah, God started talking to me about missions. And three years later, I worked on the orchard three years. Mm-hmm. Three years later, I ended up knowing, I mean, so such an obvious call. God was so gracious and went to the Philippines. Sorry, that was so long. That so, is amazing. That was, was a long answer. No, I love it. We're not cutting any of that. Nope. <laughs> Why the Philippines? I know. That's what I said to God. Okay. I was seeking God. The only thing I place I really knew about people that I knew was in Hong Kong. So I was writing to the Hong Kong base because I wanted to work with kids. And so I was writing to them. And every time I got inf- information back from them, I just had no peace, you know. Mm. And one night... 
I don't have dreams. This is my only one that I've really powerful dream of. I'm sort of waking up in, in that time where you're sort of half conscious and half not. And it was so clear, this dream. I walked into this church that I'd never been to before. And I looked over at the wall and on the wall there were all these, you know how they have things about all their missionaries that they support. There was this ministry that worked with children and stuff and there was this big bold lettering, Philippines. And I'm like, Philippines? I'm not going to. I'm arguing with God in my dreams saying, I'm not going to the Philippines. I don't even know the Philippines. Where is it? (laughs) And I woke up just knowing, yes, God, you know the right thing and you know where I need to go and it's the Philippines. And there's a long story to all of that. But yeah, I ended up going to the Philippines. But a while later, I got invited to go to this church that I'd never been to before and walked into the foyer and looked over at the wall and there was what I'd seen in my dream. And that bold lettering of the Philippines was an air ticket that, and it had Philippines written on it. So I spoke to the people that, because I went to that church because they were hosting some guest missionaries and they were from the Philippines. I didn't know all of this and they were working with children in YWAM and they were the ones that were, they were being supported. So they had come back on furlough and they were speaking in that church. So it was like, oh my goodness. I had a serviette and I wrote down the address and promptly lost it, but found it again later and wrote to them. And then, yeah, just felt such a peace and it was the right place. Mm-hmm. God just confirmed it in so many ways. So that was in 1985 that you left for the Philippines yeah. for YWAM. Six months. Yeah. And that's where you met Mike. So then I, right after that, I did a primary health care school and he had done his DTS in Kona, Hawaii. So he got saved in 82 as well, had three years. He was the missions director in his new church that they'd recently started and thought, well, I probably should go on a mission trip if I'm a missions director. (laughs) So he did his DTS in Kona, Hawaii, went on outreach to the Philippines. While he was there, heard about the primary health care school and had always been interested in health care. So he went home and then came back and did that. So we met then. And were the girls born? In the Philippines, yeah. Erin yeah. was like 10 months when we came here. And he grew up in Columbiana. So in 1991, you guys came yeah. back from the Philippines to Northeast Ohio, settled in Canfield, or were you in Boardman, Poland? <laughs> We were in the suburbs in Boardman, and I'd always said I would never be a suburban housewife. We had the five-year plan was that we were going to buy a house, just fix it up, sell the house, and then buy something out towards Columbiana that had a little bit of land. Took 15 years. (laughs) (laughs) And isn't God faithful? Like even in the midst of heartache and trauma that happened with your marriage, that God still gave you your dream. Yeah, he redeemed everything and gave me way more than what I even would have thought possible, you know, than I imagined. Yeah, even out of high school, my goal in life was to be a hippie and live on a commune. (laughs) (laughs) I never did that because I got pretty disillusioned with communes and stuff. But So did he have to talk you into moving to the States? Or were you happy um, and willing to move I was to the, the wife that, I'm a nine. Okay. So I was the wife that. The peacemakers. Yeah, made peace. 
And just, you know, where you go, I'll go. That was fine with me. I know this sounds bad, but I never did want to live in the States, even though I traveled in the States for 10 months before I went to the UK when I did my overseas experience. But Mike felt that the job, and I, it was true, he was right, the job opportunities would be much greater for him here. He was much more of a home person and a family type. I was like wanting to be a missionary the rest of my life, mm. but really he loved missions and did really well at it, but he's the sort of, he's a three. So he's the sort of person that could do basically anything and be anything that was needed um, and fit in and just, yeah, be whatever was needed at the time. Yeah. So if it was putting on the thing of being a missionary, that's what he was, yeah. and he was good at it. So he's good at everything he did. Did you have, in, in the midst of the divorce, did you have any moments of faith crisis, or do you feel like your walk has steadily continued? No, I used to teach and I did the experiencing God thing, and they talk about crisis of faith. Yeah, you know, okay. that's a huge thing, and you know, that we go through these times of a crisis of faith. Well, for me, it wasn't a crisis of faith in the sense that I felt tempted to walk away from God or to be mad at God. Or no, It was the opposite. Mm. Because for me, it was a crisis of faith in that the November before I'd said, God, I cannot stand this. It felt like I was on the shelf. It felt like I wasn't living for God in the way that I wanted to. It's not like I ever walked away from him, but it just felt like I was going through the motions. It felt like, you know, there wasn't a place for us as a couple even with, you know, all the all the experience that we'd had. It was like there wasn't a place for us, you know. I remember that November saying, God, whatever it takes. But never, I never, it never even crossed my mind that my marriage would be shaken yeah. and that it would be my marriage. But yeah, that's what it was. And I mean, I would always say to God, well, why did I have the grace to run to you? And God, why did he do the opposite? You know, he didn't seem to have the grace. He was offended by God and mad at God and didn't want anything to do with Christians or God. Or So he ran away and I, it was like God was my breath. I couldn't make it through the day. I just... I'd sit in my chair and bawl my eyes out and bawl all day and bawl in the shower. and Just, I couldn't get through the day without God. I think that's the one thing that I would tell anybody is that you don't have to do anything. If you do nothing else in your life but run to God, that's the best thing you can ever do. You know, just, just run to God. Mm-hmm. So I love when we have seasoned Christians on here you had a passion for missions. How many years ago was that? We came home in 90, we came here in 91. So it was a long time ago, 30 years ago. So what lights you up in this season <laughs> of your life? Yeah. Talk about a different season. Uh, it's, it's such a hard thing because I'm a nine. So I'm like lots of things, you know, like I can never imagine how people are bored and aren't passionate about because, you know, there's lots of things. But if I would use one word that covers like a lot of stuff for me, and that's nurturing. So I think I'm a nurturer and that lights me up. So it's nurturing in lots of ways. 
Like in the Philippines, it was nurturing through discipleship, like nurturing young Christians, young adults. And then on the farm, it's nurturing the garden and the orchard and it's nurturing the animals and then the interns that come and doing through hospitality and education. And I like to nurture in that way. Now, a lot of that nurturing Obviously, I finished, not finished, because you never actually finish. Your kids are still your kids, but (laughs) they're responsible for themselves now. But I've finished that part of nurturing my kids, but now it's like my grandkids, you know. And I just, I don't think I ever would have understood what it was going to be like to have grandkids. I should have done that, you know, like, why did I do the kid part first, you know. <laughs> I just should have jumped straight to having grandkids because it is awesome. <laughs> I just love, I didn't understand how much I would, how strongly I'd feel towards my grandkids. So it's interesting, isn't it? I don't know. God must put something in you. Anyway, that's part of my nurturing at the moment. But I feel, I know that God has confirmed over these past two years that my calling, and I think I confirm this every, I mean, I feel like when I go home to New Zealand, it's always a time of seeking God to reaffirm, you know, what I should be doing, how I should be doing it, reaffirming my calling, and is it time to move on? I mean, am I supposed to go back into missions overseas or do something like that? Because that's a passion. I love it. And I just know that one day I'm going to do probably just short-term like healthcare type stuff in the South Pacific because I just feel really drawn to that area and Tonga and Fiji and some of that. So YWAM New Zealand does mercy ships in those areas and I would love to do that sort of thing. So you, this is fun, you went back to school and did a DDS, a discipleship training school, where you were the student again when you were in New Zealand. Tell us about that stint. Yeah, it was really um god the way it worked out because obviously i was filling in time i listened to jenna's <laughs> i listened to her po- podcast and she's talking about you know covid and that kind of space that she was in so that was how i was you know like i didn't have control over i couldn't make plans like i couldn't actually go out and get a job mm. in new zealand because i didn't couldn't commit to anything because i didn't know how long i was going to be waiting for my visa and all those things. But I'd gone to my daughter's place down in Christchurch in the South Island of New Zealand. And there's a base there that I've always felt drawn to called Oxford. It's um, right by the mountains. And they were like 40 minutes from Wendy's house. And so I thought, oh, well, while I'm being a vagabond at my daughter's house, I'll (laughs) go and volunteer there on the base. They might need help, you know, just even in the garden or whatever, because, you know, there's always maintenance and stuff. So I volunteered and while I was there I heard about this discipleship bible school and I have always wanted to do one of YWAM's bible schools but the only one I knew about was the SBS which is the school of biblical studies and it's nine months so it's three months the old testament three months the new and then three months outreach and I'm like when will I ever have the money and the time nine months to do that But this was a Bible school, which was different. It was just three months. And each week you did a, you know, like say Davidic week or Moses week or each was several books for each week. And you read through the whole Bible, reading out loud in small groups. So in the morning you had a three hour lecture. Well, first of all, you did 
worship or intercession. And then you did a lecture. And then in the afternoon, for three hours, you read out loud in your small groups and stuff. So you read right through the whole Bible. So each week you might cover maybe four or five books. So it was very intense. Mm -hmm. And also each week in that section, you would have eight assignments and they were really big assignments. So it was a real stretch for me. That's amazing. (laughs) I love learning and I'm relatively academic, but it was like 65 going back to school at that kind of level where you were doing it on the computer and... I was drowning the first three weeks. I was like, I'm going to fail at something. It was really, and it was like, I'm not going to be able to do this. But I did. I mean, life-changing is probably too strong of a word, but it's really given me a new set of wings and a new, just a really good, really good tools for knowing how to go about studying the Bible in in a way that is just makes so much sense and is so doable. So it's all inductive Bible study, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful school to go to. You come out of it having done a lot of study, but with a lot of tools, and having heard from God. You know, the whole thing, the whole focus is that knowing God, it's not an intellectual thing. It's knowing God for his sake and for that intimate relationship with him, and it will lead you to worship. And that's what it did. It just did every time you know like you're studying stuff that I have avoided always you know like there are parts of the Bible that are like oh no that's too hard I don't get who God is in that part of the Bible and I don't even want to go there because it just challenges me too much Mm. that doesn't seem like my God you know of course you had to cover the whole lot and it was so good because I just developed a new appreciation for God and who he is and yeah, just the depth and the breadth and the height and oh, just so, so awesome. So in this season of your life, which you, you're in transition, yeah. you just came back from your home country to, you know, back to the farm. So how are you going to let your lights shine in this new season? So I do feel like it's a transition, not that things are going to be totally different, because I do feel like I'm called to nurture community at Lampost Farm. So through hospitality and that sort of thing, education and stuff. But Rich's prophecy, I mean, his word from the Lord was so good, because I do feel like God is saying, just take the next step. And I do want to do it courageously and joyfully, because I'm good at not doing things because I don't want to fail. (laughs) <laughs> so I won't even do it because I th- might fail. And that was a great lesson for you to learn, yeah. to go back to school and feel like you were going to yeah. fail and then see that, oh, look, I could do it and yeah. I did it. Especially since, you know, I knew that God had made a way for me to be there and the timing of it and everything. God was so in it. So <laughs> he was surely going to give me the grace to do it. And that's how I, I feel about, you know, my next steps, you know. I don't feel like I, 65, it's been a big change. All the things that I used to do on the farm, you know, like very physical stuff for hours, I just can't do that and I don't want to anymore. So that's a big transition and it's hard for me to not. (laughs) So one of my um, names that I would have named for myself is I'm a worker. In our family, that's what's valuable. If you are a good hard worker 
you know, and everyone had to work. If someone was working, you better not be sitting down doing nothing. You better be working too. So it's hard for me to step back and see others working and me not. And there's so much work to do on a farm that it's kind of like this vortex that you get sucked into. It's like, this (laughs) needs done, so who puts up their hand? So I've been, yeah, really trying not to do that, not to, just to stick with what I feel I'm supposed to do and what energy I have, you know, because I just don't have the energy. I want to use that energy to respond to God, to what I'm supposed to be doing, not all the other stuff. Did he so. give you a new name? Like, like, did you hand that worker name oh, over to him? I should, have, I should have asked for a new name, shouldn't I? I know that I've always, through the divorce and everything, I've always said, God, my name's Marilyn, my real name is Marilyn, but I've always been, never been called Marilyn, always been called Marnie, which means something different. Marilyn means bitter. So all through the whole circumstances of the divorce, my prayer was always, God, don't let me be bitter. Don't let me be Marilyn. Don't let me be Mara. Let me be Naomi, which means pleasant. So that's been a thing for me. So the next step for me is, I mean, it's several things, but I do really want to spend a lot of energy with my family. And it's so awesome that God's brought them all to the farm. Like, I didn't do that. You came back to that. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's so good that I haven't manipulated or connived or it's God. You know, they've done it for themselves and what they feel they're to do. And and even if they don't eventually end up there, well, Michael and Wesley, they may or may not, but whatever they end up doing, it's just so neat that they're, you know, getting more involved at the moment and they're having a season of being on the farm they want to they'll they can build a house there so Erin and Michael that's their plan so I want to be a part of that so that's part of nurturing community so that's a big step and it seems like an elephant but yeah just one take the first step and then I just you know a step would be towards starting to do some of the bible study with I don't know I don't want to say young women it could be any woman really but just giving people the tools to fall in love with God's word. It is awesome. So I'd really like to turn people's lights on in that area, diffuse all the difficult stuff. Anyway, God is so good. And repentance is the, it's just such a, you sort of think it's a horrible thing, but it's the opposite, eh? It's such a a cleansing, renewing thing. Let's just start over. But I would say, God, he makes it even better than it was. Right. Working on community and not taking it for granted and doing the things that we need. But that's the place where the enemy would attack. But it's also the place, you know, that God will test you because you say that that's what you stand for Mm -hmm. and that's what you want. So, okay. And relationships, I think, are the hardest thing in life to do. Yes. Yeah. It is hard work. We need people who know how to do that to teach it to others. Yeah, but I'm learning too. So I would like to be learning with people. Yes. You know, like, okay, this is how it's done. Let's do it together. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it. Well, we need people who are willing to learn and to do it in the midst of teaching. To learn together. Yes. And that's what we do at Lampo's Farm. I love that. (laughs) That's so good. Yes. 
I'm crying at the beginning because I feel like all of the supernatural stories that you've shared already and God just showing up and being present. I mean, I know that you've shared those. Do you have another one you want to share or willing to share? I think there's probably many things that you can say, but probably one of the most recent ones was my dad's actual death. And, you know, it's like birth, marriage, and death are supernatural events, aren't they? Right. You know, God is supernaturally involved. I mean, it's a miracle. Birth and marriage, something happens that's way beyond a piece of paper and way beyond words. And then death is is a transaction, isn't it? I mean, it's like, it's supernatural. And I think every day I pray... I wanted him to end well. That was my whole goal in being a hospice nurse. I wanted, most of all, all the people that I had helped end their lives well. Mm. That makes it sound like I'm participating in suicide or something, but I don't mean it that way. I mean, you know, end well. So I wanted for my dad, for him to end well. A prayer was that, you know, the way that he would die. Because Mm. I've just seen so many deaths and they're not all good. (laughs) Right. And often they're just a horrible slow fade. And that's what I didn't want for my dad. And we used to joke and talk about it, you know, because he'd always say, well, I'm past my use by date. And he was 93. And all his friends and all his relatives, everybody had died. He was the only one left. And all, a lot of the younger friends that he made, you know, later in life had died too of cancer and various things. I mean, it's so sad, you know. And so he was ready, but not spiritually, you know. I mean, I talked to him a lot about God, and he'd get to the point where he didn't want to talk about mm. it. He'd say, well, you've got your ideas and I've got mine, basically. <laughs> I'm the self-made man. I can do it my way. So I would say, God, give him dreams, give him dreams in the night where you come to him and reveal yourself to him and show him your love. Because I I was like, how else, unless it's going to be some supernatural way, is he going to know the love of the Father? So that was a big prayer. And the way he died, I wanted to be there, you know. I didn't want to come home and find him on the floor or something gotten to the point where all of a sudden he was really going downhill quite fast and you know just all the things that happen with your activities of daily living were getting really hard and and he was needing a lot more help and that was really hard for him didn't want me to have to do those kind of things and I'd be like I'd much rather do them for you than for strangers which I've done as a nurse you know anyway it was hard for him so I said dad You've just got to have the big one. You know, we kept talking about the big one. He's like, yeah. I want, he told me on the Friday, I just want to have the big one. I just want to be done with this. I don't want you to have to do this for me. That was the Friday. On Saturday morning, um, he had gone to the bathroom and I was helping him get back to bed. I was just praying the whole time, help me get him back into bed because he was not functioning well at all. So I got him back into bed and he said, I'm just so tired. I'm just going to lie here a bit longer. I'm not going to get up quite yet. And so I said, Dad, you're fine. You can stay there as long as you need to. He lay back down and his eyes went like huge, super dilated, and he just kind of did a huge shake. Then he kind of shot up in bed and reached his arms out like he was reaching for something and it was like 
peace came over him. He was gone. His spirit went, I could tell. And then when I lay him back down, and he wasn't there. His body breathed a couple more times, but he'd gone. And just the way he was reaching out to God, I was like, he's met him. He's seen him. (laughs) It was so beautiful. And I could have laid him down and walked out of the room, and it could have happened, and I might have missed it, you know. But God was just so gracious in that he let me be there, let it be Dad's way. Dad didn't do the slow fade, and it was just a beautiful thing. It was supernatural. (laughs) He just looked so good. I mean, yeah, he looked so peaceful. Like, I got him all fixed up, and so then my family all came, and they just couldn't believe how he looked. They were like, wow, he looks so peaceful. Like Dad, he doesn't look like a dead person. (laughs) Yeah, he did. It was amazing. That was my supernatural recent experience, Mm. I guess. Yeah. Wow, we could sit here all night Mm -hmm. and listen to your beautiful accent and your (laughs) stories and your heart. Hopefully you can understand what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. It's been such a blessing to have you here and to hear your stories and... You know, you you have such a beautiful life and you're such a beautiful person that mm-hmm. we really appreciate your time and, and your stories. And yeah. I do. We want to come and have tea and milk. <laughs> <laughs> afternoon tea. I want afternoon tea at your house. <laughs> so thanks for being here, Marnie. Thank so you for good. having me. I'm glad I got to do it. Awesome. Well, we have come to the end of season two of the Shine Podcast. But make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye.